This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. To receive a free copy of Bob Buford's classic book, Halftime, Moving from Success to Significance, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. city of San Antonio is, is the seventh largest city in the country. There's one point four or five million people, very big city, a lot of small business. And the San Antonio Business Journal did a study and said we were the number two best place to work in the city of San Antonio. Number two out of a lot of small businesses. We were not number one because I did not buy my employees a car. So uh, that's <laughs> that's how we lost. And, and we were at the banquet celebrating this and they said, well, if you want to win next year, that's what you got to do. Um, but I but 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 I realized I go, man, we do have a good culture. So I started to say, you know, I'm going to really I'm going to really think about what we've done here and 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 share this with other people. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, author Daryl Lyons. Now, today, Daryl's book, Small Business Big Pressure, is being re-released with a new publisher. And I love the subtitle, A Faith-Based Approach to Guide the Ambitious Entrepreneur. So, we brought Daryl back on to talk more about the book and the other concepts we didn't cover the first time we brought him on for episode number 58. Here's how my partner John Ramstead and I got this conversation started on this edition of Eternal Leadership. All right, today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, we welcome back a great friend of ours, Daryl Lyons. Daryl, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me back. I'm, I'm happy to be a, a two-timer on here. Well, you know what? We don't have many two-timers, my friend, and uh, you, we are excited to have back on. You're, you're the first episode we did, I love for have people go back. It was episode 58, and it was uh, uh, we talked about a, a faith-based guide for entrepreneurs, and we talked about your book, uh, Small Business, Big Pressure, and the exciting thing is uh, that book, which you self-published, which has just had just taken off is been picked up by a publisher and it's going to, it's coming out here early in 2016. Is that right? That's right. January 5th, 2016, it'll relaunch uh, through Morgan James publishing. Well, that's exciting. And, and, you know, one of the reasons I, uh, I'm excited about reconnecting is I know uh, a friend of mine was actually at a conference that you spoke on about building uh, just an extraordinary culture inside of a company, you know, a kingdom honoring culture. And I know, you know, these are concepts that you talk a lot about in the book, about the right team, about culture, um, you know, about vision. You also talk in there a lot about finances. That's your background. But today I'd really love to just focus on there's so many people we you know steve and i get feedback from our audience all the time and, and there's a couple themes first of all people are really focused on just finding that identity that calling and that purpose you know just to get clarity but the other uh area of that is really on the you know that's kind of the why and the what and a lot of the questions also we get is on the how if i uh, really have this heart that I want to make an influence for the kingdom. And I want to bring my faith outside of the, you know, my, you know, going to church on Sunday. What does that look like when it just lives in my life at work Monday through Friday? If I really see my company, the business work I'm doing, the marketplace as a place that I can actually do ministry. And a lot of people have crossed that Rubicon, so to speak, and connected those two, that these aren't two separate areas. So, I'd love to have a conversation and, and just draw some of that out. But, you know, before we start, for some people that maybe haven't heard the other episode, why don't you just give a little background on, on yourself, what you're doing, how you got here, Daryl? Yeah. So the the last episode, I was uh, uh, courageously vulnerable. <laughs> yes, you were. Uh, Brene Brown's uh, words, not mine, but it, it's those, those words resonated with me. And uh, shared a few things about my experiencing my experience as a Christian coming to actually buy what Jesus was selling to believe that being dependent upon him moment by moment was not just um, something that was uh, neat and cool or, or something to say, but actually um, made a lot of sense. It was scripturally based. Uh, apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, I wasn't experiencing the fruit that he talked about, the peace. I wanted peace. And and so I shared in the last episode, again, I think you said 58, where uh, I went through a journey recognizing that, uh, man, I cannot do this independent of God. I, I lived a lifestyle where I was a, a Christian, a go-getter, and Sundays were um, church was church was a stretch because I was working so hard and I needed that Sunday morning just to sleep. 
but I had bifurcated my life as a Christian and a business person. And, and there was an experience I had that I shared in that last episode uh, where I made the transition to say, you know, in each moment, I'm going to depend on Christ, good, bad, and different, but in each moment. And, th- and so then that, that just changed my life. That, uh, th- that, that experience, that event that I shared in the last episode, uh, it has absolutely transformed my life. Well, when you say that, what what was the biggest change as you jumped into that? Darryl? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> I, uh, you know, it was really, I think it was the replacement of fear. Uh, so because I had grown up without money, uh, and we lived in a little single wide trailer in Castroville, Texas, which is a small Texas town uh, surrounded by cornfields. And because I had a desire, a, a, a really burning desire to not have a lifestyle rooted in fear or rooted in poverty, I should say. I was perpetually uh, afraid of living in poverty. And so imagine running a business or starting businesses where your your motivation is always fear. And so that way, every mistake, you're like, oh, this is going to be my last. I'm going to end up going back to the trailer, just like my parents, my parents before me. And so you would make little mistakes and it would manifest in your mind. Your mind would just mess with you. And at least for me, and I would just always go back to fear. And, and then you try to suppress fear, whether it's a, a a cold beer or working out or whatever you find to suppress the fear and just to pacify it, but it would come back. And so what's happened now is that that fear, it comes, but it doesn't stay long. Uh, I go to the source of peace and that's God. And I pray and I, and I listen to him and I'm still, and every morning, every single morning before I start my day, I spend 10 minutes or an hour, if I can get it with God, just being still and listening to him. And that's just Mm -hmm. different. That didn't happen before. So 10 minutes being still now that was a habit with your busy schedule that you had to be probably pretty intentional about that. Yeah. So uh, I know a lot of, a lot of times I used to work out in the morning, a big workout guy. And I just had to set that aside, you know, because a lot of my working out again was rooted in fear or pride or, or just arrogance. You know, people probably wouldn't say that, but it really was. So I had to set that aside and say, okay, I don't need to be in like tip top shape. By the way, um, if you Google Daryl Lyons, you can find uh, a guy with abs and that is not me. <laughs> but it's, it's at the images pages and it's a guy with a mohawk and yeah. The pink hair. We, the pink, pink mohawk. Yeah. So I got to explain that to everybody. So I was pulling up Daryl's website and I, I just typed Daryl's name into Google and in this strip of images came up and there's this giant bodybuilder with this massive six pack and it says Daryl Lyons six pack abs. So when we started our, our conversation today, I had that up on the screen for Daryl to see. So that's why we're cracking up. Yeah, that's not me. And, and, and <laughs> no pink hair, uh, no yep. blue hair. But I, uh, I, so I ended up, I had to, I had to substitute some things in life. I had to shuffle things around a little bit and and recognize that Christ was my priority, not some of these other things. And so it was just a little shuffling of life. But uh, in all reality, it, it, I didn't miss. I don't miss a beat in anything. It's funny how that works out. You, so, you Darryl, know, how long have you been doing the ten minute hour quiet time? Then I don't know. Maybe two or three years now. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you know. It's always changed. You know, I used to journal. Um, and, and I used to read scripture and then I used to read books that, that helped me understand scripture. But, but really I find that the quiet time, the, the whole idea behind be still and know that started to make sense to me. You know, I, I just realized how often Jesus went aside and was still. And I thought, man, there's gotta be something to being still. He would go out on the lake and he would be still. I remember after they cut off his uh, buddy's head, uh, John the Baptist, they cut off his head. And then um, he, instead of, you know, he could go out there and he could have probably destroyed everyone that was affiliated with that event. But instead he went out in the middle of the lake and he was still, and then he came back and performed some great, some of the greatest miracles ever in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was right before he performed all these miracles, the, the breaking of the bread that he, right before all that, he was still. And so I thought, man, well, wait a minute, in the midst of the heightened anxiety and fear and worry, maybe if that did exist in his life, maybe it didn't. But in the midst of all that, instead of him going attacking and, and, and fighting, he went and was still, there's got to be something to that. So I just started to be still in the morning and it's made a difference in my life. What kind of difference has it made? Practically, well, because, because, in large part, because Daryl, there are people listening right now that they, th- that sounds like a good concept in principle, but, th- but they want to see return on investment. And, and, they, and they want to know practically, okay, if I do this, what is it going to do for my life? 
Yeah, no, that's great. I'm glad you mentioned that. Well, first of all, let me just ma- let you guys know that my family sees it. Um, and so if you, if, in fact, I was on John Lee Dumas's, um, podcast not long ago and he, one of the questions was if I think this was the question might've been his or somebody else's, but regardless, the question was, what do you do first thing in the morning? And I remember asking, I wanted to ask my family, uh, what do you guys see dad do first thing in the morning? I want you guys to tell me what I do first thing. And they told me that you're sp- you spend time with God. Boom. That's what you want as a dad. You want, I mean, a- that's what I want as a dad. I want my kids to say, if they were going out in the park and they say, hey, what does your dad do first in the morning? He spends time with God. Wow. That's powerful. And so first of all, just practically speaking, my, I get to model behavior that I think is very good. Secondly, in the stillness, he is there. I actually, and this is hard for people to understand. It depends on their spiritual walk. I hear from God in that when I'm still. And so many times, uh, many times it's, it's just in a, an awareness of his presence. But when I hear from him, it's usually um, in connection with somebody else's life. In other words, I may be sitting still and all of a sudden he brings to my awareness a, a, a guy that works for me, let's say Justin. He says, you know, Justin's just struggling right now and you need to just check on him. And so there's many times in that stillness that I get an opportunity to have an awareness of other people's lives and busyness keeps me from ever thinking about anybody else. I think about transactions and dollars and doing stuff and I never think about anybody but me. And so in the stillness, in the stillness is where I hear and listen and I get to uh, think about other people. Mm. You know, I would echo that because, you know, Steve and I were talking about, you know, we need to be praying a lot more intensely. We we would get together and pray every week, uh, he and I. And what, you know, what we decided to do is we put an, uh, an alarm in our calendar. It goes off every evening at 9 p.m. And Steve and I and our other partner, we we all know that we're praying for each other in that period of time. And I've, and I've started doing the same thing is just during that period of time, pray and then just be quiet and be still and be listen. And I got to tell you, just the the peace and the clarity that's coming out of just, and we've just started doing that, Steve, what, just a couple months ago, daily, together, corporately. And I think yeah. being in unity also as you're doing that. Um, and, you know, I heard something from you is including in that quiet time, modeling that with my kids and just making it a lot more apparent so they can see that. Because usually I go up to our, my kind of my prayer chair up in my bedroom and I do that. So I'm not, uh, you know, so the kids really aren't seeing it. And, but you just highlighted the great ideas, you know, doing that in the morning when they're coming down to get ready for breakfast and, and just an additional time to be, to have more of that, uh, but also have the kids see it, I think is just a great idea. Yeah. So I, uh, practically speaking, I, I didn't intend to do that. My intentions was uh, Buck Jacobs, by the way, Buck Jacobs was a name I wanted to mention. Uh, he wrote a book called I Radical. And um, that book talks about his experience doing that. Uh, he's in his 70s now and he's done it for, I think, 20 years. And uh, it's just pretty, it's just been pretty impressive and certainly met him. He's a friend. Um, but I wanted, I wanted to make sure that I, I, I shared with you guys the root of that idea. Um, but, but also the, the really, the intent behind doing it was never modeling. That was just a cool byproduct of the kids seeing that they do come up and, and cuddle with me when they, when they see that I'm doing that. Uh, I, 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 I got to tell you my, my time, sometimes I get my, go back to my flesh and say, man, this is my God time. And then I, and then it's like in my, in the quietness, God says, no, this is, this is, this is what life's about. Cuddle with them, listen to them. I mean, just listening to my kids, you know, just how often do I sit there and I want to correct them or encourage them or tell them something and then just listening to them. Sometimes when they cuddle up in that chair and I'm in that listening mode with God, mm. uh, I listen to them too. And I think they appreciate that. And that's probably one of the reasons they love to cuddle up at 6.15 in the morning. They hear me go downstairs, they hear the coffee. And then they, uh, and then of course, sometimes, sometimes after five minutes, I hear those footsteps and they come and just cuddle. No, that's okay. That's awesome. I, my kids are 18 and 16 and 12. So not, not as much cuddling as there used to be. <laughs> yeah. My 10 year old doesn't do that. He's a big yeah. kid. My 12 year old, he, he loves to do that. Matter of fact, what we found is at night, uh, we just turn the TV off now. And when the TV is off and everybody's down in the family room, the conversations that we have as a family, the laughter, mm. the relationships that have been being built have just been phenomenal now of course last night we had to have the broncos game on Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i get that well it makes a good point actually because um 
I, I, I was sitting around the dinner table and uh, we're, we don't, gosh, life just gets busy, you know, I mean, with football and basketball and I'm coaching and I'm doing all kinds of stuff, just like you guys are. And everyone, frankly, I mean, it's kind of this, this culture of busyness that, that really distracts us from what God had intended to, for us to have. But we're sitting around the dinner table and again, I have four kids, 10, eight, four, and two. And I always ask them when they get, when we get around this kitchen table, we pray, we fight over prayers. You know, I want to pray. No, I'll pray. Why did you look? You didn't look. I don't pray for unicorns. Why is that stuff? You know, we go through all that stuff as kids. <laughs> um, but, but when we're sitting down, I always ask them to go around the table and they always know this is always, this is hundred percent of the time. They always know I'm going to ask this question. What was the best part of your day and the worst part of your day? I always ask that. And, and, and because I like to wrestle with the good stuff and the bad stuff, so they have to think about it and they know, in fact, sometimes they'll say, I've got a good part that I want to share at the dinner table, but I'm not going to tell you until we get there, which is kind of a cool system. So we sit down and, and we wrestle with the high parts and the low parts. So that way we can just wrestle with life around the kitchen table. The reason I want to mention that is because I, I thought about how practical that is. And I started to do that as a in the business. I thought, you know what, let me wrestle with the, the good stuff and the bad stuff with my employees. And so what I do every Monday morning is I send them an email and I tell them what my high of the week was the previous week and my low of the previous week was. And I just being transparent with them. And I say, you know, my high was, um, what was it this week? I, oh, the Houston Texans game. I went to the Houston Texans game. Uh, they, then they won. So that was one of my highs. And my low was I gained 3.5 pounds uh, because of Thanksgiving, right? So sometimes it's fun, sometimes it's cute, sometimes it's very serious. The, the, the obligation from all the employees, there's 18, is to respond back to me uh, or they could respond back all on their highs and their lows. And what happens as a result of that is every week I get to wrestle with life with my employees. And I'm never, because if I get so busy, it may be a month before I realize that they're having marital issues and they will respond back to me with a low struggling with my marriage right now or dealing with cancer. I've heard that really early in the game wow. or dealing with a kid with problems. And that way I just stop what I'm doing. I say, okay, I need to go over there and just check on them. And, and, and I just don't want too much time to go by before that event occurs and I find out about it because frankly, while it's happening, I know it's affecting their productivity. And that may be a selfish motive, but I need to just address it right then and there. Or do you need to get off early? Or is there something I can do? Or I can tell a, a, an, a, an associate, hey, they're struggling with something right now. Just just bear with them. We're working through it. But there's so much value by, by systematizing the highs and lows, which again, it's every Monday, high and low. Uh, that way I don't become too disconnected from the lives of the employees that work here. Does that make sense? No, it makes it makes huge sense because, you know, one of the things you're a big advocate of is really just developing this extraordinary culture. And you talk a lot about it in your book. So I, I'd love for you to share again just a little bit how this book came to be. And let's just talk about more about, you know, this culture you developed in your family that you're bringing into the workplace. And you have so much more to to share on that. That would just be huge value to people. Yeah. So um, we. um there, there's a lot of God in, in, in this. And so I, I hate to say that, you know, I've been able to, to completely do this independent of God, but, but I think that, I think, I hope that the people know that's my spirit, but I, but I will talk about the things that we've done. And one of the things that, one of the, the times I'd recognized that, man, we do have a good culture. City of San Antonio is, is seventh largest city in the country. There's one point four or five million people, very big city, a lot of small business. And the San Antonio Business Journal did a study and said we were the number two best place to work in the city of San Antonio. Number two out of a lot of small businesses. We were not number one because I did not buy my employees a car. So uh, that's <laughs> that's how we lost. And, and we were at the banquet celebrating this and they said, well, if you want to win next year, that's what you got to do. Um, but I, but, but, but I realized, I go, man, we do have a good <clears throat> culture. So I started to say, you know, I'm going to really I'm going to really think about what we've done here and, and, and share this with other people. And so I started doing workshops on small businesses for small businesses. And those would fill up those workshops. And, um, I was sharing culture and I've had a lot of people, um, a lot of business owners and employees, uh, ask about our culture. And some of those questions come from people who are just starting a business. And those, some of them are, uh, established businesses with hundreds and hundreds of employees that just want to know what we've done. Uh, there's been much done. First of all, I, I, I don't know if it's the secret formula. I'm just going to simply say what we've done. I, we, we're not a Christian business. We, we are a business that uh, has Christians as leaders. Um, 
So that's just just the way I approach it. And so my obligation is to abide in Christ. And a byproduct of abiding is uh, the leader will not lead in fear, but rather in peace and generosity and in love and kindness and the fruits of the spirit. And I think that is, if I could mention anything about what it, where's the starting point to create an amazing culture, it's really getting leadership to abide in him and experience the overflow because the fruit of the spirit is not for us necessarily. It's an overflow for others. And so when we get this the, the leadership to disconnect from, I'm creating a Christian culture, which is busyness to saying, you know what, I'm just going to abide in him. I think that's when transformation of culture takes place. And it's moment by moment dependence upon Christ where we get to experience that. And so that's been a journey for me, quite a, you know, quite a long journey, but, um, but, 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 but being dependent upon him, I, I started to do some Bible studies around here. I just really just wanted to grow and, uh, spiritually maturity. And I also was busy. So rather than trying to go to another place, another church, another office to do a Bible study. Why not start one here? It's easier for me, kind of a selfish motive, but, <laughs> but I started one here and, and it's been great. We've been going five years now. And then one of the other employees said, you know, that, that day is not good for me. Can I start another one on Thursday morning? Sure. So we have one on Thursday morning. And then the women said, you know what? There's a bunch of men in there. I'd like a women's one. Can we start one on Wednesday morning? Sure. Why not? So we have three Bible studies that go on in our office. And that was just uh, just just continuing to fan that flame of a of a of a, in a, a culture that abides in Him, but not everyone buys into it. Let me make make sure that that we have we have people around here that that struggle uh, with their faith. Um, we have people that struggle with the idea that if is God even real? And this is a company that y'all are Christians, and you have people that are struggling with their faith. Yeah, heck yeah. When you when I sit down with some people, and they're uh, and I realize that. They they believe in God, but they really their lifestyle is different. Uh, that 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 pains me though. It's not as though I'm saying, okay, hey, you got to get on the same page as me. It I I I hurt for their for their soul, and so I walk life with the employees, and I think they see that, and that's I think it just starts with a heart of gratitude for the people that are here, and that's a direct result of abiding. You know, as you talk about abiding, Daryl, I'm. What are some stories, you know, people, I know you've done a lot of workshops. You've worked with a lot of small business owners, uh, you know, people that are, you know, making that transition. So they're coming into a, a company and there's a culture and, uh, and you know, and a lot, not a lot of these things that would really make it this compelling, excellent culture. They're not there and they want to move into how do I bring, you know, abiding in Christ and bring that into my workplace and operate differently what what are some maybe stories that illustrate how some people have done that? Maybe some of the challenges they had doing that. Well, so one of the things that has allowed me to to be able to share some of those stories are um, uh, my um, group that I'm a part of is called C12. Is that mm-hmm. a, that familiar yep. group? So yeah, it's a great na- group. Yeah, so I've been a part of C12 and big advocate. In fact, I spoke at their national conference uh, this last year. A huge advocate for C12. So I get a lot of stories about, um, you know, again, I think one of the big questions is how do you create a a Christian culture? And I struggle with that a lot, guys, because I'm I'm of the opinion that I don't want to create a Christian culture. I just want to abide in Him and get to experience the overflow. And it's easier for me to do it that way because if I say I want to create a Christian culture, that implies that I've got to do X, Y, Z. And a lot of times when I do that, I do it independent of God. Well, you know, Daryl, I think you're bringing up a really important point here. So maybe you could uh, dive into that a little bit deeper. What's the difference between a Christian culture or somebody who's leading a company who is a Christian? Yeah, so a Christian culture would probably have somebody who um, believes in God and uh, then uh, and then has rules set up to um, – that that are kind of Christianese, and and let me give you an example real quick. And this is this is kind of a very sensitive one. I was with a friend, a very very successful business owner, and um, and again, you know, your audience might 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 have a hard time with this one, but I'm going to just make sure I throw it out there because I think it's good dialogue. He he said he refuses to have any homosexuals work for him. He says he refuses. He will not allow it as CEO of a company. And so here we go to, is this a Christian culture or is this a a leader who's abiding? 
well, they're not a Christian company. They're not selling like Christian books. They're a medical company. Okay. So um, they've made it clear we're a, we're a secular company, but I'm a leader. I'm a Christian and I'm going to stand firm in my faith and I'm not going to allow any homosexuals to work for me. Okay. Well, I sit down with them and I said, um, you have a lot of employees and you have, you have some single employees, right? Yeah, sure. I have a, I have a ton of single employees. Are they having sex outside of marriage? Well, heck yeah. I, I absolutely know they do. So what's, what's the difference? I said, mm-hmm. but both are, uh, both are behaviors that are damaging and, uh, but you're drawing, you're drawing lines in the sand that is kind of Christianese. And so here you need to wrestle with truth and ultimately you need to make a decision on what you believe to be the standard in which you make decisions. And so the standard is not, I'm against homosexual behavior. The standard in which you need to set is, again, this is a a direct result of abiding, but it's wisdom, is we do not accept behavior that's antithetical to the Christian faith. But if that's the standard in which you set, then you've got to implement uh, changes for anybody who violates that standard on a consistent basis. And that would include those that are having sex outside of marriage in your, in your office. Um, he really struggled with that and I understand it, but, but I was trying to get to the root of the matter because he was just kind of putting a Christian label on, on individuals, but not really looking at the whole picture of, uh, of, of a standard of, of Christianity, anything that's antithetical to Christianity. He was just picking and choosing what, what his hot button was. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes total sense because look how Christ operated in the world. You know, you think of the woman of the well or the woman that was caught in prostitution who was about to be stoned and said, you know, let the person who hasn't sinned cast the first stone. And, uh, you know, I remember, you know, this might be controversial, but back when the news broke about the company that wouldn't cater to the wedding, you know, the homosexual wedding, uh-huh. you know, the wedding cake. And I asked my yeah. two sons about it. And I said, boys, if you own that company, would you cater that wedding? And what my two sons, they were 17 and 15 at the time, said, you know, we would absolutely cater that wedding because how could we ever have a relationship or have influence in their lives if we didn't serve them in some way? Mm-hmm. And in, in, uh, in a company that I was in, uh, one of the guys who worked for me was gay. He, he knew I was a Christian. He knew exactly where I stood, Daryl. And we, and we implemented this men program. program. And this young man asked me to be his mentor, knowing exactly where I stood because of who I was in the market, you know, in at the workplace. And I was able to work with him and sew into him for working with him uh, intentionally for a year and had huge influence on his life. Now, he didn't change his lifestyle, but I never made that a huge issue. And what he told me at the end of that, I'm the only person he knew who was a Christian that he ever felt he could have a conversation with and not feel judged. Mm. And and I'm just hoping that through that, that he looks back on that. And that is something that God uses in the future in some day uh, mm-hmm. to pull him into a, a personal relationship. But oh. I'm really glad you brought that up because I think a lot of what happens um, with it can be really damaging to kingdom building when people uh, uh I don't know if self-righteous is the right word, but they, they do it in a way that doesn't build relationships and it, it alienates. Now, you know, we do need to judge in light of scripture, but I, but we're not the ultimate judge. I, I think it's, you know, it's about us sowing into other people, showing them that there is a relationship that they can have. You know, if they see something special in my life, I have an amazing marriage. I have a great relationship with my kids. I'm just a blast to be around. This company is a great place to work. I would love for somebody like that to say, you know what? Maybe maybe that guy has something I'd like to have in my life. There's something there that he has or she has that I don't have and I'm attracted to it. That's where some really wonderful conversations can start. Uh, it's great. And so you see where I really struggle with when somebody always asks me and, and, and is, how do you create this? And, and many times it's framed, how do you create this great Christian culture? And I really struggle because I'm setting some leaders up for complete failure because then they're going to start going through the checklist of things to do and not do. And they're going to press that on people. And so I said, no, 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 no. 
Stop trying to create a Christian culture and just abide in him. You know, don't make decisions based on fear, make based on wisdom and sound mind and, and peace. And, and as a result of that, uh, that engagement, that leader, if he if he's abiding in Christ, he's not going to make a decision based on fear. He's going to make a decision based on love and compassion for this person that's struggling. Because frankly, we're all struggling. We're all dealing with issues. And so I really want to uh, press into leaders to abide in Christ and let that let the overflow be the culture. And, and, and that takes a lot of pressure off us trying to create that culture. But I will give some more practical steps on how that's done. Yeah, let's let's talk about that because because we've talked about some things that you know maybe not to do or that don't work. But so, what would be some maybe some hallmark or practices of an extraordinary culture? What if we labeled it that? Yeah, no, that's great. Okay, cool. So, uh, I I I I'm the CEO of a, of a small company, a chief executive officer. I consider myself a CRO, a chief reminding officer. A chief reminding officer um, has firmly established the principles and values that are important to the organization. Typically, this is a, a soft pitch for you, but typically they work with somebody like yourself who's a coach that can help crystallize the values that are important to them. So um, rather than saying this is what we are going to believe in, uh, it's it's more so this is what we believe in. L- little little rabbit trail real quick. I was with a with an executive of a big company the other day, and he says, I'm trying to come up with an organization uh, that we can uh, – rally behind. So in other words, he runs a big company and he wants to get his employees to rally, rally behind a nonprofit. And and some and I go, "Look, just take inventory of what's important to you and they'll follow you as a leader." And so sometimes we need coaches like yourself to be able to pull out what's important to us, the values and the principles and the vision. And once that leader has crystallized those things, then the 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 chief primary responsibility of that leader is to remind people all the time of those values of the vision where we're going and what are the principles that are really important to the organization impress those all the time and impress them upon people because they forget but people don't follow a charismatic leader they follow a charismatic cause and so for every leader they really need to spend some time taking inventory of what they believe in and become a chief reminding officer some of the ways to do that is uh we i specifically every other month send a state of the company email to everyone just to give them an idea of where we're at and where we're going. We also do, we don't do a retreat. So we don't retreat as a company. We do an advance. Uh, We advance every year and get together. And I remind everyone of the principles that are important to us. Uh, Those are just some very practical ways Uh, along with the high and low system. I can stay in touch with people, but those are some practical ways that I, as a chief reminding officer that it can always press into them and let them know where we're going and what our principles are. You know, I think another important uh, piece to build on that is when you really have clarity on, you know, what you believe in and what your personal why, why that business exists, what your values are. Um, You know, Patrick Lencion wrote a book called The Four Habits of a Highly Successful CEO. One of the pillars of organizational health that he teaches is over communicating uh, exactly what you just talked about, because if it doesn't live in the lives of the people, uh, how they interact, how they're doing things. But I think uh, an extension of that, and this is what you're doing with your high and low checking in, is you are not only connecting with people individually, because that's a tremendous amount of uh, just discipleship, relationship building. But if you can also get to know them as people and connect what's important in their life, what are their individual values, what's important? What is their why? How does that connect to what you're doing at your company? And how is what they're doing in, in this company going to serve them in their life outside of the company? Because when you start doing that, you create a level of just, I feel valued. Um, I have ownership in what I do. Um, man, I'm having a blast. These, you know, and, and they know that if I make a mistake and I screw up and I do something horrible, right? Um, you know, as long as it's not unethical and a firing offense, but they know that I'm in a place that I can take a risk. I have the, I, I have the trust in my leadership to do this. And if it doesn't work out, you know what? I know that I'm going to be better and I'm going to learn from it. And next time, uh, I'm going to make those guys, you know, proud that I'm working with. And when you have a, and that's what you're talking about is building a culture that has that. I mean, that, that is a really a high level of trust when you can get to that place. And not, not a lot of companies get there, by the way. 
uh, but it is definitely something to be striving for. It's 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 really difficult to get there. Uh, we've you know you have to let people go that that don't buy into that culture. That's certainly important. You know, for example, we have a no gossip policy. That's a part of our principles. And if they, you violate that, you're gone. So you do have to have uh, a standard of excellence and you have to enforce it. But here's one of the things that you said that's really cool. And I think this is one of the one of the bigger challenges for any entrepreneur. Uh, so we have entrepreneurs, lifestyle entrepreneurs. We have small business owners. And you kind of go through this phase where you get employees and you may have virtual assistants. But regardless, what is very important is for us to recognize that being able to influence and being able to uh, express our ide- our unique identity through an entity called a small business, being able to do that is a complete gift. It's not an obligation. Some people say, if I have employees, I'm gonna, oh, what an obligation, you know, a bunch of responsibility, I got to deal with all this stuff. Yes, we do, but it's not an obligation. It's an opportunity. It's an amazing opportunity because when I find out that I've this, some of the systems I put in place that has been, they've, they've actually implemented around their kid's kitchen table, I think, holy cow, I'm making a difference generationally. And uh, I think that's just a great, a, a great thing. You know, my, my dad was let go um, when I was young and the, the cold blooded guy was probably in a corporate office and laughing, maybe even brushing his teeth the morning that my dad got fired. And he, the way he got fired was they just changed the key on the, um, on the door when he was walking in and um, he, he was just let go, completely let go. And we went bankrupt and lost everything. And, and, and again, I got this picture in my mind of this 1980s corporate executive just smiling and, uh, through his, 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 um, his actions of letting somebody go this way. Well, that impacted me in a very negative, negative way that I never wanted to treat anyone like that. So when I let people go, which I have to, and as a Christian, frankly, the way I the way I'm able to to sleep at night is because I'm not their provider. And if they're not a good fit, I trust that God will provide for them. I still pray for many former employees. I compensate them well. I take care of them well. I make sure the transition's clean. But I I remember how that one person's lack of compassion impacted me, and I and I made certain that I didn't mm-hmm. behave that same way. And so that that's probably if you want to kind of unpack one of the roots of why. Having uh, employees is not an obligation, but an opportunity for me. It's probably rooted in that childhood event. You know, it's interesting because I had to let somebody go off the team recently, and I was in very heavy prayer prior to this difficult conversation. Um, uh, And, you know, we had things in place where, you know, this is, uh, uh, you know, here's some agreements. This is how we need to work. And they, they weren't being honored. Uh, But my prayer going into that conversation, Daryl, was I really hope Mm -hmm that I do this in such a way that he looks back on this conversation and sees it as a gift because I helped equip him and show some areas of his life that are not serving him well, that if he takes what I'm saying to heart, and maybe he wouldn't do that in the near future, um, but this will make him a better person, allow him to be more productive, more employable, whatever it happens to be. But I think it's if, what you're talking about. It's about abiding. You're going in, even into some of these difficult conversations, but you're going into it with a spirit uh, of peace, of love. Um, you know, in, in, you know what? We always have to tell the truth to people. But if we tell the truth in love and we do it in God's timing, um, even if it's not a conversation we want to have, uh, the results can actually be very positive in that person's life. I agree. I've, I've had to do it a lot and, and it's, I, I've gotten better over the years. I just hate doing, I think, I don't know if anyone ever yeah, likes doing it. No, I, I hate it. Every time I get a knot in my stomach and, um, but yeah. Now the good news is, is, um, I don't have to do it as much cause I have some people that do it for me <laughs> for certain <laughs> staff positions. So that's good. But, uh, but, but it still happens every now and again. But you know, well, here's the flip side of that though, right? Um, when you create this extraordinary culture and you're focusing on this culture, and like you talked about before, we didn't dive into it too deeply, but identifying and hiring the right people for the right reasons into the right role. So there's real clarity with what they do, what their expectations you have of them, what the culture is. So you're pulling them in. You're already starting out so much more ahead of the game if you actually put some thought into the process of who they are, why they're coming into the business and the culture you're bringing them into the these kind of conversations, yes, they come up, but they come up significantly less often. If you're, if you have some of these other things in place, what do you think of that? Yeah, no, I, th- I think so too. And, and it is a whole nother show though, on how to bring people into the right seat. 
uh, I think really everyone should be reading uh, Jim Collins, Good to Great, because uh, getting the people in the right seat is really the starting point. And there's some specific things that we've done around here that um, don't ensure but, but help uh, get the people in, in the right seat. A lot of our culture, by the way, is a direct result of uh, hiring people who are friends with people. So typically when we hire a new employee, it's because they, they're a friend with somebody else. And they so they, the character qualities and the attributes of people who, uh, of our community, you know, they're, we're all hanging out with each other. I mean, you're the average, you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. So if I want people who act and behave and work like my current employees, I'm going to ask my current employees, hey, we got a position to fill. Do you know anyone? And really, that's where a lot of our culture has come from is just asking those questions. And yeah, oh, yeah, mm. no, Haley's great. She would be a great fit here. Let me go ask her. Oh, by the way, she doesn't like her job right now. Yeah, I've, I've raved about you guys. And so that's kind of how we've built it. And so I think as a business owner, one of the things you have to ask yourself was, first of all, are you around those kind of people? Like, are you hanging out right now with the kind of people that you'd want to uh, hire? And if you're not, then I think you need to take inventory of your own relationships. And and you may be finding yourself, man, I can't find anybody that's good to work for me. Well, who are you hanging out with? You got to check yourself there. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I love that. What you said, you're the average of the five people that you hang out with. So, you know, look, look, look at your associations. Look at those people. I'm, you know, I had some I got some hard advice when I was first getting into business. It was my first mentors when I got out of the Navy. This is 25 years ago. And he told me the person that I was going to be in five years, it's going to depend on what you read. And he challenged me to get into a personal development or reading program. And I did not like to read. So I started reading and I've done this now for 25 years, a minimum of 10 pages a day. But he also said, uh, you will also be just like uh, the people who you're closest to. And if the people that you're closest to are, they're okay with mediocrity, uh, they're complainers, uh, you know, they don't have big dreams, they don't want to have make a difference in this world, then you will never accomplish any of those things if that is the people you're hanging out with. And he challenged me because all of my friends from the from the Navy, because he had met a few of them, uh, he goes, you need to really upgrade your association, not get rid of your old friends, but you need to just change who you are spending the time and associating with. And I got to tell you, man, talk about some tough love. I, that is something I didn't want to hear. I really pushed back on that. And then just operating on my own for a number of years, I realized I was limiting myself because the people around me, I was I was staying at their level. You know, they say a rising tide lifts all boats. But that the level that that tide gets to, you can that is determined by who you're around. Imagine if somebody you know spent all day long with people like you, Daryl, and you were the five, the average of the five people they're hanging around with. Imagine just what they'd be doing with their kids, their family, their vision for their life, clarity on their values. And so everybody out there listening to this, you know, because we're we're trying to coach you as we do this too. It's just. Look at those people in your your inner circle. Look at that association. Look at what they're doing with their life, accomplishing in their life. And if they're not heading where you want to go, go find people that want to go where you want to go and are working at getting there and start pulling, building some relationship with those people. We're not telling you just to cut the cord and move away from your friends. That That is not the message here. But, um, you know, that's a good point. I, I actually had to cut the cord. Um I, uh, and, and it was very difficult, very painful, but I, I got to tell you when I did, um, it changed my life. I mean, I hate, mm. I, I, uh, I did it and it, and I probably did it the wrong way. I just completely just stopped taking calls cause I just wanted to change. I just realized that the lifestyle was damaging and, um, I wanted a different lifestyle. And so it was very painful, you know, a lot of text messages and phone calls. Hey, where, where are you at? Can you come over? Why can't you come over? You know, you have to go through that season. But I've got to tell you, it completely changed my life when I started to get around uh, eagles instead of turkeys. You know what I mean? Mm, and absolutely. So, um, but yeah, I mean, just just hanging out and doing dumb things, you know, drinking too much beer or or, you know, the weekend priorities were different than what they are today. Um, and, and, and it gave me more capacity to, to do quiet time. You know, I didn't have quiet time because, frankly, you know, if I was up late. Right. So if I was up late, how can I get up early? Um, but when I started to change the people I hung out with, well, the people I start hanging out with now, they all get up early too. So now we're talking about, okay, well, if you're up and I'm up, how do you do your quiet time? Well, you don't have dialogue with people who have hangovers like that. <laughs> so, so, you know, now I can have conversation about, so tell me, how do you do quiet time? And, and it's just different. Just it's the little conversations that make a difference compounded over my life. 
Uh, and so, yeah, that was mm-hmm. a difficult transition to make, but one of the best ever. Well, I'm I'm a little moment of silence there because I I couldn't agree more. When I really plugged into a very different association, and what happened was for me, it was like this maturity. Uh, well or maybe uh, as I evolved into the person I wanted to become in these new relationships changed, having those same old conversations about sports and weather and what happened in high school and, you know, you know, that kind of stuff. It honestly, it no longer interested me. I love having sitting around like a, a fire pit with a group of men talking about deep, meaningful subjects that people are just engaged in and they're doing something in their life. And, I got to tell you, it's, I, I, I want to be like the least accomplished, least intelligent person in the room. And I succeeded that almost always. <laughs> <laughs> but if I, if I can surround myself with a whole bunch of people that I'm just in awe of, I got to tell you, every time I'm in a situation like that, it makes me better. And I seek out opportunities like that all the time. And, and generally that, that, uh, you know, that exemplifies every podcast interview I do, uh, just like having this conversation with you, Daryl. So I'm succeeding at that part of my life pretty well. Well, you know, those mastermind groups are great for that. And, and I didn't realize that that was such a phenomenon. I joined one just kind of like, oh, OK, this seems kind of cool. And um, and I didn't realize that 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 that's that's kind of low hanging fruit in today's technology, because I think before if I hadn't had a mastermind, it was kind of hard. OK. I know I need to change my friends and my community, but how do I do that? Right? Okay. Do I like wh- where do I go? Do I do, go to a church down the road, or do I? I mean, where do I go? And so now, what's cool about technology and these mastermind things that are going on is that it's like it's relatively easy to kind of make a transition into a new community um, and and be around people that are all striving for greatness. And many of the masterminds, the that one of the things I actually prefer about masterminds, this is just me, is I actually like a little higher barrier of compensation to get in. Like I like it to be a little bit more expensive because I know that I'm going to get people that are serious, not curious, and so that that's just a low hanging way to get in. I when I first got into my, I'm in two really, I guess mastermind, one mastermind and one C12. Very apprehensive because it seemed like a fraternity where I needed to buy friends, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I don't want to get in there an extra cost. Now I'm spending like three thousand dollars a month on mastermind, and it's worth every penny. And, um, and, and, and I've grown professionally, just amazing growth for me. I, if you track my growth chart since I've joined these groups, it's been off the charts. I mean, really doubling my business. So the, the, I just look at it from a cost benefit perspective. I've got a good return on my investment, but I've also just walked life with people that are really uh, awesome quality people. And so I've enjoyed doing that. But before that, um, before that, I don't know how you do it, but with today's technology, these things, it's, it makes it a lot easier. Well, you know, it's interesting going back and looking at some of the best growth I've ever had in my life. I can always look back at some great mentorship or being in a mastermind group. And so now as a coach, we started a, a mastermind group of just a small number of CEOs about a year ago. And the growth that everybody had was just explosive. Um, and so we've started a couple mastermind groups with people from our podcast audience that have reached out to us. And it's just been Man, it has just been a joy to be a part of it. As a matter of fact, if anybody's interested in that and they're listening, just email me, john at eternalleadership.com. Uh, we don't have any room in a mastermind group uh, right now, but we're looking at starting a couple new ones. So if that'd be interesting to you, reach out. Uh, I'd be happy to talk with you about it. But mastermind groups are incredibly powerful. I, I, I agree totally. But, you know, Daryl, so as we wrap up, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your book, uh, you know, what it's about. People need to read it. Uh, I've read it. It's fabulous. Uh, when it's coming out and how to get it. Yeah, so it'll be out January 5th, and you can get it at Amazon or uh, any uh, book reseller will have it, uh, Barnes and & Nobles, and uh, I think the little kiosk in airports will have it. But uh, you can definitely get it on Amazon starting January 5th, so it'll be out then. And um, it would encourage your your listeners to, to to grab it. And one of the things that's important that they understand is you don't have to read it to cover to cover. There's you can skip to chapters that are more salient to your current situation, but it's a book that needs to be kept by your side for when you hit that pivotal moment in your business and you're stuck. You can reference it. 
But there's also stories about my journey of faith as an entrepreneur that are really critical because the anxiety that entrepreneurs and business owners experiencing experience are so so damaging. I was with a business owner who I consider so successful. He's uh, I just thought he was just one of the most successful dudes I'd ever met. And I didn't walk life with him, but I caught up with him years later and I didn't realize that he had uh, bouts of extreme alcoholism while he was growing his business. And you look from the outside, you see these successful business people and you think, man, they've got it all made. Mm -hmm. And here I had no idea this guy was dealing with such a high degree of alcoholism. Another one, uh, very successful guy, one of the most successful guys in the entire country, getting a divorce, leaving his wife. And I thought, holy cow, these people are just losing it. For what? And so I have to express my concern for business owners in this book throughout the text. So you say, well, how in the world can you write a book, how-to book, that's colliding with faith. Well, I don't know how I did it, but God did it through me. And um, I'm very passionate about the content because so far it's already changed lives of some entrepreneurs. And when it changes the life of an entrepreneur, it changes the life of the employees and then the kids at the kitchen table. If you'd like to learn more about Daryl or his book or his website, just go to eternalleadership.com slash 098. That's eternalleadership.com slash 098. This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. In 1994, Bob Buford penned the book Halftime, Moving from Success to Significance. And in more than 21 years since then, more than three quarters of a million copies have been sold. It's touched baby boomers in the 90s, and now it's touching the lives of both Gen Xers who are in that midlife season, asking, is this all there is? As well as baby boomers who are searching for significance in retirement. To get a free copy of the book, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. And after you read the book, if you have any questions, you can have a no obligation one hour of halftime coaching. Eternalleadership.com slash halftime. You can't beat a free bestseller. Next time on Eternal Leadership, the founder of Refer.com, Thomas Gay. In this tipping point environment where everything is overwhelming us, set aside the social media and go back and put a little bit of energy, five minutes a day, into the relationships. And you'll see dividends that you've never anticipated. Relational dividends for sure, and maybe business dividends if applied that way. Definitely ministerial dividends. Give, 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 and people will begin to want to give back. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Eternal Leadership.